Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. I will call upon the Lord, for He alone is strong enough to save. Jesus' name will break every stronghold. Freedom is ours when we call his name. Jesus' name above every other. All hail the power of Jesus' name. That video was filmed four or five years ago, actually. You can tell because of the giant crowd of people, not social distance, sweating all over each other. And uh, I find myself not looking for, are they breathing COVID on each other? But wow, there's a lot of sleeveless shirts and arms up in the air as they're bashing into each other. But nevertheless, they don't care. They're just worshiping Jesus. And uh, there's a passion that's there and there's a life that's there. And I can't help but compare that to what's going on right now where we're, you know, we've been divided into our small corners all over the place. And there's like this squeal that's coming out of the church. And I believe God in this moment is asking us to come back to a place of revelation of who Jesus is. We've had a lot of stuff trying to get our attention, a lot of stuff trying to draw our eye and draw our hearts and draw our fear and draw our finances and draw our, our passions. And we have to come back to the place where we're just knowing who is Jesus. We have uh, Easter coming up in two weeks. And I tell you what, not having Easter is not an option. Last year we did video online. We were actually... Wayne had his memory uh, thing just come up on Facebook this morning. It was our Saturday night service, of course, the date uh, thing, where it was our first service with nobody in the room. And uh, so we're commenting on that in the screen that there's different camera angles and there's different stuff that's going on, but it's our first service with nobody here. And we adapted and we moved and we, you know, we, we did what we needed to do last year, but there comes a time when we just say, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to me? What do I want to celebrate? Who do I want to live for? How do I express my love and my devotion for him? And we're going to do what we need to do. So again, the Good Friday service is going to be here. Um, come what may, we're gathering. We're doing this. And it's, it's going to be good. Yeah. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And it's one of my favorite verses. We actually, uh, the old scripture songs, it's one of the ones that has a tune and everything. But you know, even, you know, sometimes we can sing the King James version of something, and it's like, Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots. I've never had a horse, and I don't own a chariot. But the Passion Translation says it this way. Some find their strength in their weapons and their wisdom, but my miracle deliverance can never be won by men. Our boast is in Yahweh, our God, who makes us strong and gives us the victory. Ha! Isn't that good? Man, I don't trust in man's wisdom, in earthly supply, earthly wisdom, earthly answers. This year, if it's taught us anything, is that we need Jesus for everything. Literally, for life. We, um, we heard the announcement this week, you know, that uh, this is exactly a year to the week that our first, the first COVID cases showed up in Grand Prairie. It's been a year exactly that our city has been changed and people have been adapting. Actually, prior to that, I think everybody in Grand Prairie said, oh, it's never coming here. Um, you know, we all thought, like, no way. Most of us, you know, really feel bulletproof 
in most instances. So it, it didn't occur to us that it might actually come here. And so we began to change a year ago and some stuff came to the surface and some things happened. And we have really, truly rediscovered how badly we need Jesus. When, whether, whether, the, whether you've had the virus or not or whatever, there's not a person, not a couple, not a family in this church that hasn't been impacted in some way. Everybody has had to deal with this. Everybody has had to deal with family issues, financial issues, work issues, you know, uh, connections, the, the, the um, you know, facing what we actually believe about things, the conflict that's going, there's a lot. Everybody has had to face this in some way. And we have come to the place where we know we need Jesus. I have found that if, if, if I'm watching you know, like the government headlines and the, and the CDC and the, you know, whatever, the who and the blah, blah, blah. Everybody's got a strategy. And the more you lean into, does somebody have an answer? You realize everybody can talk a lot and nobody knows anything. And it doesn't matter how many letters you've got behind your name. You, you might feel like you're very confident in what you know. And yet something, some random variant, some random thing will happen that changes what you know and disproves it. Do you know what's never changed? God. He's never changed. He's always been faithful. He's always been good. The fact that we are here today, living, breathing, walking in his goodness, that is God. That is who he is. And so when we look back and we begin to look forward based on what we see behind us, we know that these kind of maximum um, impact years, which it's probably the biggest one any of us have experienced in our lifetime. You know, we know that, that um, previous Generations have faced wars and famines and that kind of stuff. But this, this is a new thing for our generation, for the people that are living on the earth at this time. And there is in these maximum impact times, like a highlighter that goes through the course of your life and it wants to highlight the things that you remember or the things that you focus on, right? Like when you look back on the last year, even if you take a trip or whatever, what are the highlights of it? You don't remember every minute of every hour of every day. You remember the highlights. What are the highlights? And so there's this thing that happens where we, we are drawn towards crisis, actually. So the highlight tends to be, here's how we suffered. Here's where things went bad. Here's where things were wrong. Here's what we lost. Here's what it cost us. But God wants to highlight where he's been faithful where he's shown up, how he has moved, how he has loved, how he has supplied. Uh, Wayne and I were talking, we just remember so clearly that some of the feelings of life, like you can, you can have a whole year of life. We all have a whole year of life. And yet there are moments where you can remember the feeling, the smell, the, the sense, the, the, the fullness of the moment, right? And we remember sitting on our couch, listening to, here's what's happened in our province, Here's how we're shutting down. Here's what's closed as of today. And we remember having, uh, you know, Wayne's phone was just like lighting up. And every, every few minutes there was something else because he does events for a living. So events are canceled. And we, just, we remember sitting there looking at each other going, how are we going to survive? And then immediately, we're not going to talk about it. We're just going to pray and we're going to leave it with God. And so a year later, we sit here and we, we worship together and we weep over the faithfulness of God. 
You know, we still have a home. We still have, we still have, you know, clothing. We still have food. We still have ways that we can bless other people. We still, God has provided for us over and over and over and over again. Had there not been a lack, we never would have seen this level of provision, right? Had there not been a crisis, we would not have experienced this level of God's supply. And so we want to make sure that the highlighter goes on the right things, that we're searching for the right things. There's um, this, this uh, what I think is the real epidemic of what has gone on in this past year, which is the destruction of relationships. And, and I see people turning on each other over everything, over masking, over lockdowns, over government, over belief systems, over jobs, over finances. Families have been torn apart because one, one part of the family believes this and one part of the family believes that. And there's been this breakdown, even within the Christian community. What do you mean your church does that? Why would you do that? Why would you think that? Isn't it obvious that we should all think this? And there's been this dividing thing that has come around and it separated us. And we know from the word of God that there is a place of commanded blessing where there's unity. So who do we think is actually trying to destroy that? That, that is a costly thing. We know that the word says, even in the, the story of the Tower of Babel, that God came down and he said, you know, if they work together like this, nothing will be impossible for them. And so he actually separated man because they were doing it for their own uh, motives, their own things. But there is a value in unity. There's value in loving one another, into sowing into one another's lives, into caring for each other, into standing together. And, and, and this has been destroyed this year on a large, on large level. We've had people just, you know, everybody's protesting about everything. There, there's, I, we've never had so many active people. We, you know, there's been no, never so many people gathered to raise their fist at something. What is that? There, there's there's got to be an understanding that there is something that has come against the world. And Jesus is the only answer. I believe that with my whole heart. He is the only answer. The wisdom of God is the only answer. This thing where the you know, there's confusion everywhere you look where you can't, you, you know, you can find an article about something and you can find 18 that say something different about the same topic and everybody's an expert in what they sign on the bottom of it. And yet there's, there's this confusion then you start to think, well, maybe I think this and then your mind goes over here and somebody tells you this. And, but you know, the word tells us that the wisdom of man brings confusion. Where there is confusion, there is every evil thing. But the wisdom of God is peaceable. It's, it's uplifting. It's pure. And so we want to lean into what is the wisdom of God. And moving forward, the reason that we're talking about this today is because if ever, you know, we had a, we had a uh, faith leaders um, conference call with the, our premier and Dr. Hinshaw and some of the, the MLAs and whatever last week. And, you know, the phrasing that comes out just from, because it's all different kinds of faith is that, you know, we know, we know Easter is, a, is an important holiday to celebrate for all different faiths and whatever. And I felt something on the inside of me go, important is an understatement. Easter is everything. The, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is everything. The victory of the cross is everything. The empty 
tomb is everything. The fact that Jesus went down and he got the keys of hell and death and he paraded the enemy through the streets and disarmed him. That's everything. That's not a celebration. That's not a meal that we share as a family. That is life to us to honor Jesus for the gift of our very life. So we need to understand who is Jesus. We need to, as a church, we need to, as believers, we need to be able to give an answer for the hope that is within us. I'm telling you right now, as we move forward, there is going to be a temptation to highlight the hard stuff. God wants to highlight what he's done, where he's been faithful and who he is, and we need to let him do so. As we move forward, there's a couple points that I think are necessary in understanding this and in laying hold of it. One is that we assign accurately and always filtering it back to the question, who is Jesus? And that we live the testimony. That we assign accurately and we live the testimony. And we're going to walk through this together today. Assigning accurately and finding out who is Jesus helps us to give an answer for the hope that is within us. I honestly, I just, I, I don't know... You know, we've, we've all gone through this stuff. We've all had the hard stuff this year. I don't know how you survive this without Jesus. I don't know how you survive this without hope. When it seems the world's gone mad, it's because it has. It is nuts. The stuff that's, uh, it's crazy what's going on. It's that the, the prince of the power of the air has capitalized on this moment. But the believers of Jesus, the lovers of Jesus, have to be able to assign accurately, this is where Jesus is in all of this. This is where Jesus has been in my life. So number one, assigning accurately. Ephesians 6, 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. It goes on and it talks about putting on the whole armor of God. It doesn't say that we wrestle not. It says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Assigning accurately means we take this moment in history and we don't turn on each other like seems to be the common thing that's going on. Whose fault is it? Everybody wants to know whose fault it is. Who's to blame for this? If we had it done this faster, if we had it done this slower, if we had it moved in this way, if we had responded in this direction, if, if you would understand how dumb you are that you don't understand how I understand it. You know, we, if we would, we have to pause and go honestly. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. John 10, 10, we know this one. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. We got to assign this where it belongs. We got to assign this past year where it belongs. We need to know that Jesus is never the one. If it's caused division in your family, if it's destroyed your workplace, if it's destroyed your health, if it's stolen from you in some way, if you've gone through an experience that has diminished you, let me just tell you according to the word, it is not God. There is 
principalities, there is powers, there is spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places that are out to steal, kill, and destroy. If we can understand that that's where we're coming from, that's the place that we're starting with, there's been a war waged against humanity, and Jesus is always the answer. He's always the victorious one, right? He's always the one who conquered. When he was hanging on the cross and he said, it is finished, it was for us today. It was for us today when, when fear is raging at your door, when, when there's the, the, the late bills on the finances, when there's the pressure from family members or coworkers, when there's the stuff, there's this push. If it's not life and life abundantly, then you know there's been a weapon formed against you and we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So we want to make sure that we are giving it the right uh, placement in our mind and in our hearts that we're assigning accurately that we know that Jesus is taking us through something. He's not sending it to us. There was an awful lot of people that jumped, you know, this past year on the this is God's judgment thing. Well, if anything, there are consequences to sin, that's for sure. So when a nation turns away from God, when a nation decides to lean upon their own understanding instead of the principles of God, when a, when a nation kicks God out of schools and, and uh, institutions and there is open anarchy, it's just the absence of God. It's not the judgment of God. There's a difference. And so we want to assign accurately. We need to understand that the presence of struggle does not indicate the absence of God. The presence of struggle does not indicate the absence of God. This is massive. For us to understand this, we need to understand that Jesus literally said, in this world you will have trouble. But, but, take heart for I have overcome the world. We should not as believers, when there's trouble, when there's hard stuff, when we're going through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't shrink back and go, where are you, God? Why would you do this to me? He didn't. He's walking us through. He said, there's going to be hard stuff, but you're coming through it. And I am leading you through this. You're going to be sustained because I am right here with you. It's this thing that he promises us. We, we, we never actually, we've got all these like, you know, scriptures that people hang on their walls in their houses, bumper stickers. I have never walked into anybody's house where it says, in this world you will have trouble. <laughs> Praise Jesus. It's the words in red, like literally Jesus said it. But we don't want to hang on to those ones. We want to jump ahead to other places. The fact is, if we understand we're in this world, not of it, meaning we're going to deal with the same stuff that's going on around us, but we deal with it in a different way. That brings us joy. That brings us life. So we ascribe properly what belongs to God and what belongs to the enemy. God is not our enemy. People are not our enemy. Seriously. All people. It's not about flesh and blood. It's about there is an enemy. When, when we look around and we see the brokenness, we see what has happened as a consequence of this past year. It's actually been building up for quite some time. It just kind of hit a climax this year. We've been able to see broken systems and broken industries, and we've been able to see some stuff. Like, you know, honestly, it's pretty incredible that in the middle of everything else falling apart, so did uh, a lot of the sex trade and the porn rings have broken 
broken down in this year. That's fantastic. Honestly, God's been doing stuff in the middle of the rest of it. He's been restoring hearts to him. He's been, he's been stirring up the passion of the church. And so God is doing something. We fix our eyes on him and we make sure that we, uh, we highlight the right things. We need to know that because the wrestle is there, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle. The wrestle is gonna look different for different people. And we have to be okay with that. When we understand that there's different, uh, different personalities, there's different experiences, there's different ways of walking forward, God just wants us to know that we attribute stuff properly. We attribute the things to the enemy that are the enemies. We attribute the things to God that are God's. And we walk in obedience to him. So what does that mean? Honestly, in this hour, I, I, it so grieves my heart when different believers are standing for different things, you know, there's a, there's a worship movement that's going across the states called Let Us Worship. Anybody been keeping up with that? So it started in California because California shut down all their churches. So they, they could gather outside, so they started having church on the beach. And wouldn't that be a nice option? We were like looking at our snowbanks going, nope, that's not going to happen. But, you know, they started having worship on the beach, and people started getting saved. So they started just baptizing them in the ocean, which is so interesting because it's very similar to the Jesus people movement that happened in the 70s, right? And so then they started getting invited to other states and would you do one here and would you do one there? And there's this movement that, is, that has happened across the states right now where people are gathering in just en masse to worship God. And you can see people running to the altar, weeping, tears running down their faces. They're doing baptisms by the dozens every single night at these worship services. And you know, there's believers online going, why is nobody wearing a mask? Did you miss the dozens of people that just got saved or the hundreds of people that just got, you know, like, but not everybody is called to the same thing. But when we launch these judgment bombs, we're aligning with the wrong side, right? We're partnering with the wrong side. If it's not ours, then it's not ours. There's this story in 1 Samuel, and I just want to give us this tool as we move forward. 1 Samuel 30 is the story of King David and Ziklag. How many of you are familiar with this, this story? It's kind of a cool one. Um, interesting because it's like the the worst of the worst that gives birth to the best of the best. So the story goes that King David is actually, he's still, no, he's not King David yet, he's just David. So he's still on the hideout from King Saul, and he's hiding out in the middle of the Philistines, and he's actually operating as a double agent. It's kind of cool, but he goes out, his guys go out on raids with the Philistines, and they take stuff, and they give it to the Jews, and they drop it off in the Jewish city. So it's, it's like this, you know, kind of, it probably would be a really good movie, actually. But there's this one moment in time where they're going out to fight, and the, there's these different Philistine camps that come together, and they're going to go together on this mass uh, front and this, this massive war move. And some of the kings and leaders are like, we actually don't trust this David guy. We don't, we don't feel like we know him that well. And so uh, David and his guys get sent home. And they've been living in Ziklag. It's this town where their families are, their children, um, their wives all stay back when they go out uh, to battle. And so they get sent home. And when they come home, they find the place burning and they find their wives and their children and their livestock and all that they own is gone. And so it's like the worst day ever. And um, what's really interesting, I think, 
is that literally they actually, see, some people are like, these are fairy tales. The Bible's just full of fairy tales. They actually just found Ziklag in 2015. They're doing an excavation project on it right now. They're seven years into it. But they've actually found the city. They found it in exactly the location that it's supposed to be. And the part of the city that was attributed to the place where David and his family lived is actually burnt. And uh, they can tell it's scorched and they can carbon date everything to exactly the timeline of the Bible, which is cool. And they found over a hundred fully intact uh, pots and uh, pieces of, of um, like, like uh, containers for oil and wine and serving dishes and whatever. It's never all intact, which means that there was something that happened very suddenly. They didn't pack up, they didn't leave, which means it was exactly this. Isn't that cool? Don't you love it when, when, you know, there's the, oh, it's just fairy tales, and then science actually shows up and goes, mm, seems to be true. It's kind of cool. I love it. So, 1 Samuel 30, starting at verse 1, it says, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burnt it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great, they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burnt with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices, and they wept until they had no more power to weep. They were devastated. Now notice they had been robbed, but it was not destroyed. Nothing, nobody had been killed, they had been robbed. Um, I believe there's not a family here that hasn't been robbed of something in this past year. You know the devil has to pay back double, right? Sometimes we have to understand that if there's a robbing, we just need to know when to go back and get it. So it says, verse 5, And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Wow. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I find this so interesting because here has this, this uh, passage. These, these men, if you read prior to this, who was with David? David didn't have any recruitment program. They just showed up. They came to him. Like they, they came, they were, they were distressed, they were broke, they were disheartened and they came and they joined David's camp and they became David's mighty men and they learned to live together in this massive community. It was, you know, it included his family members. It was this community that had chosen to be together and all the men had gone out to battle together, David with them, and they all came back together and suddenly when everything goes bad and all hell breaks loose, they're looking for somebody to blame. This shows us human nature, right? When I'm in pain, somebody is to blame for it. When I am hurting, when I feel like I have lost something, somebody must be responsible. We've got a society right now that is exactly like this. Everybody has lost something. Everybody has had something stripped away. Everybody is grieving in some fashion. So it makes sense that exactly like this, everybody's looking for somebody to blame. There is a fight ready to start on every corner. You can pick a topic. You can pick a challenge. You can, you can protest something. You can pick a day, and there'll be a protest somewhere. I find it very interesting that governments have decided to legalize protests but not church. 
We seem to want to give people a license to rant. Like we will, we will give them a reason and a, we make space for them to blame somebody. David does not fight back. I think this is key. David does not fight back. It says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Who's Jesus? The answer for everything. What do you do when everybody's raging? What do you do when everything's coming against you? What do you do when everybody's looking for something to blame? You strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. You build yourself up in him. So David does this and he builds himself up. They've already exhausted themselves with weeping. And it says that in verse seven, then David said to Abathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? It's interesting to me that it's, David doesn't just instinctively go after. He says, is, is it now? Can I, can I fight? Can I go get it? He asks first. Sometimes we need to realize that if, if we are God's kids, we need to pause and go, is this my time? Is this my fight? You know, not everything is. We pause and we ask the Lord, we strengthen ourselves in the Lord and we go to him and we ask these questions. And so he asked God, shall I, shall I pursue this troop and shall I overtake them? And he answered him and he said, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Bessor where those, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and 400 men for 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cross the brook. This I find very interesting because again, right now what we're, we're seeing in our culture and, and what we're seeing within the church particularly is a difference in responses, right? Some people are like, that's it. We're keeping the doors open no matter what. Some people are like, we need to write letters to government. We need to picket. We need to parade. Some people are like, I'm just going to stay in my prayer closet and pray. Some people are like, I'm just going to share Jesus privately. You know, we're just going to do like some home meetings and whatever. But the enemy would love us to get our fingers out there and start poking at each other and going, why aren't you doing it the way I'm doing it? Why, why aren't you responding the way I'm responding? Why aren't you fighting like I'm fighting? And in this very instance, David goes out, God said, go after them, but a third of them were not physically strong enough to go after in a physical way. A third of them just stayed with the goods and protected the camp and prayed from there. And there are times when not everybody can contend in the same way. That's not wrong. It's not wrong. And so David leaves them and they go in and, and the next passage, it talks about how they actually find everybody alive. They find all their wives, their children, their livestock, everybody alive. Not only that, they get back what is theirs and then some. The enemy pays back double. So they get theirs and then some, and they come back. And it says that they come back across the river and some of the guys are like, well, they don't, they don't get any other than their wives and their children because they didn't come with us. And David said, no, that is not right in God's eyes. We get an equal share. Everybody gets an equal share. Everybody gets what is coming to them. And not only did they all get a blessing, they got back what was theirs and then some, but they also began going around to the neighboring villages and leaving extra there. 
people who never fought with them at all, people who were not on their side at all, they began to be a blessing. Isn't it interesting how the word tells us that we are blessed to be a blessing? It means that the body of Christ, when we're in times of conflict, not only do we go and contend for ours, but we contend for what is right. We contend for the places where the enemy is flogging people, where he's robbing people, where he's destroying lives. That's what we contend for. And it's not about, you know, us versus them. It's us so we can bless them. There's a, there's a bigger picture at play here. And so David experiences this. He goes and he, he, uh, he fights, he gets back, he blesses. What's interesting is that the very next uh, moment, the very next movement that we see is King Saul and his sons die and David becomes king. There's a shift in the nation because God's people do what is right. I believe there will be a shift in this nation when God's people do what is right. That's what we're waiting for, when God's people do what is right. And so, uh, like this, we need to make sure that no matter whether we feel to be frontliners, whether we're just on our knees, whether we are fighting, you know, there's warfare from the position of peace. Whether just the effort to stay in peace is that's our warfare. Whatever it is, we all come out of it with the testimony that God is good. We all come out of it with the testimony that God has sustained us. God has supplied us. God is the answer. But there are times when there will need to be battle. So we, we as believers, it comes down to at the end of the day, if our testimony is supposed to be that God is good, we need to know whom we have believed. And we need to be persuaded that he is able. There has to be something on the inside of us that has decided to focus on the goodness of God has decided in the middle of the battle to focus on who Jesus is, has decided in the middle of the battle to go, everything I have belongs to him. Everything I am is of him and for him. And I'm gonna live in the fullness of Jesus Christ. Which brings us to the second point. So we need to ascribe accurately, assign accurately what's really going on. And then we need to live the testimony. Live the testimony. And this is where I believe the big shift is right now. I have had, um, anybody who's, you know, not everybody is watching the national stuff. For me, this is a big deal. I've been carrying this in my heart for like 20 years. So it is heart-wrenching to me to see provinces make some of the decisions that they're making right now. Um, we had our own, um, one of our pastors in victory from Regina last week, he, or two weeks ago, he preached a message on Christian family values. Um, he's, there was a, a activist from the LGBTQ that took offense to what he'd said. And by the time that Sunday was done, had found 840 co-complainants to launch a lawsuit against him and the church. And, uh, is... It's massive. It's, it's on all the national news outlets. There, it's, it's really bad um, in, in what's going on. Um, the person was not even in their service, found it online, came across it, and uh, it seems like it will go to court. And we're just really praying that God will use it because there's nothing, you know, nothing was said that was contrary to the word. It's God loves people, but there's this thing that's stirring up. And so, you know, how interesting it is that whatever, whatever we think of, you know, distancing from home versus gathering together and whatever, uh, all churches have been forced to go online and various groups that, you know, of, of whatever kind simply can set an algorithm to search out stuff online and search for phrases and words and whatever, and can bring the church 
to the ground for nothing um, without having any personal contact at all. And so we, we recognize that there's been this, this attempt of the enemy to silence the church and therefore we have to live the testimony of Jesus. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And the testimony needs to begin to start rising like it never has before. And so in BC this past week, Friday night, there was this um, ruling, if you've been following some of the churches that have been, uh, they actually took the provincial government to court because BC has been straight up, no churches of any kind, not of any numbers. And so that would be one thing if all of society was shut down, but their stores are open, their gyms are open, casinos are open, bars are open, schools are open, colleges are open, churches are closed, zero attenders. So they took this to court and it's been going on for the last couple of weeks and the verdict came down on Friday night and the judge said that these restrictions do indeed break the four fundamental freedoms afforded by our Canadian Charter. However, he does not feel that there is any real disadvantage to the religious community. Yeah. The reason that he thinks that is because uh, the provincial government has talked to various faith leaders and they have not risen, they have not raised that there is a problem. They don't see that there is a problem. And so uh, based on their research, when they said the church needs to be closed, nobody pushed back. Therefore, there is no real disadvantage. Um, that's devastating. So we started off talking about a virus, and we've ended up talking about religious persecution, truly. Praise God, our province has allowed the 15%. I've talked to several uh, pastors and churches that, you know, got their fire codes up, updated, and there seems to be some general generosity there so there's however the system is working we've been gathering and we're okay to keep adding services but praise God our provincial government is at least wrestling with this on our behalf which is a huge thing but there was a, a report from um, ARPA Canada they had worked with the Justice Center on this and and the lawyers in um, that interview Andre Schutten and Tabitha Ewart, and they, they work all over the nation to defend religious freedoms. And uh, they were in shock and in tears in the interview because they were like, not only are we disappointed, we are utterly shocked that this would happen. It's completely contrary to the law. It's completely contrary. Like the, the fundamental freedoms of our nation have been completely overruled and we're shocked that this could happen. And so they as a staff went into prayer and God spoke to them out of Joel 2, the verse that says, rend your hearts and not your garments. And as a, as a law firm, they felt like God said to them, essentially, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. And the lawyers on the report we're saying, you know, often we as the church, we point to the wicked ways of the unbelievers, but we believe God's pointing to the wicked ways of the church. 
and that we as a body of believers need to repent. And when we humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways, God will hear from heaven and heal our land. This is what lawyers standing there going, how could this be, have been hearing the voice of God saying, my people need to come back to what is right. The fact that that, um, government officials can go searching and look for advice and counsel on is it okay to shut the church and not find much pushback is it it's it's a comment on what we believe about who Jesus is can we defend why we should be able to be in church can we defend what our faith is about can we defend who Jesus is can we defend why we're passionate about him why this is not the same thing as our golf group or our knitting club or our you know whatever social group we're not just coming together to meet our social needs and our interaction you know uh, uh, cravings we are here because we are fellowshipping with the living God and with the children of God together that we have a passionate call from God to gather together to seek his face to speak to one another in psalms hymns and spiritual songs that we actually have a living God on the inside of us who is worthy to be praised can we give voice to that will we give voice to that these lawyers said What the verdict tells them, they said, it shows us that the judge doesn't understand what worship really is. It shows that the importance of the church, it shows the importance of the church witnessing to the value of worship, not just the worship itself, but who we are worshiping. They said the ruling of the earthly courts tells us that the church has been silent too long, basically. What they said is that five to 6% of Canadians are committed Christian church attenders. That doesn't even necessarily mean born again. Five to 6% regularly attend church. What that tells us is that 95% of Canadians don't know why we love Jesus. 95% of Canadians don't know why he is worth everything to us. We've we've had to walk through the different, you know, challenges this year. What's worth breaking the rules for? What's not? What's worth going to prison for? What's not? What's worth getting a ticket for? What's not? I tell you, I have always wondered, my whole life I've wondered if persecution came and I was challenged to, to renounce Jesus, would I stand? This year has told me, absolutely. I know one thing that I would stand for and give my life for. I know one thing. This needs to be the cry of the church. If you have nothing else, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. We have to come to the place where we can give voice to that, where we can give testimony to that, where we can see that maybe if if the the 95% doesn't think Jesus is of value, maybe they haven't met the right Jesus. Maybe what's been presented to them is wrong. The fact that, that this, this uh, you know, group came and they, they brought the lawsuit against the church in Regina, I think that, that, that's so sad because to me, Jesus would never turn away anyone. How do I know? Jesus, the, the real Jesus. You know, there's the Jesus that gets pumped out there that's angry and, you know, what a, the real Jesus, the real Jesus walked through the streets, in the crowd, felt the woman with the issue of blood put a draw on him and he stopped everything to minister to her. He didn't condemn her. He didn't tell her she was unclean. She shouldn't have been there. He stopped everything to love her. 
I know who Jesus really is because he's the one who when everybody was pulling the little kids away, Jesus said, let the little children come to me. I know who Jesus is because when the blind man was crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody, the word says everybody told him to shut up. Jesus stopped and said, bring him here. I know who Jesus is because Jesus, at the end of a very long teaching tour, took a trip across the sea to find a man who was so demonized, nobody could be around him. A man who was so possessed and so broken and naked and dirty and shattered that Jesus stopped everything to come and find him. I know that Jesus found the woman who was at the well who'd been cast aside by men her whole life, and he took time out of his day to meet with her and tell her first off, I'm, I'm the one you're waiting for. That's Jesus. So what Jesus do people meet when they hear us talk? What Jesus do they meet when they see our Facebook posts? What Jesus do they meet when they encounter these services? What Jesus do they meet? Because this Jesus, loves deeply, passionately, sacrificially, gave it all. I can't turn my back on that kind of love. I won't turn my back on that kind of love. And so if we can move from this place, move forward, if we can go instead of what's the matter with the world? Why would the judge do that? Why are these laws happening? Why is politics? If we pause and we hear the voice of the Lord and go, wow, because 95% of our population has no idea who he is. They don't love him like we love him. Then we understand where in Acts 1, Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, you shall be the walking testimony of who I am. How good's our testimony? How good's the message? How good is the representation of Jesus coming out of our lives? We need to live well and we need to testify to him. Psalm 103, 1 to 5 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The psalmist is saying, soul, <laughs> don't you dare forget. Don't you dare keep it quiet. Don't you dare hide what he's done for you. See, our soul, our mind, will, and emotions reasons it out. Maybe nobody wants to hear this stuff. Maybe if I share it, people are going to think I'm arrogant. Maybe people are going to think that I think that I'm all together and I'm not that. And I don't want them to think that. I want them to know that I actually think that I'm pretty screwed up still. And, but, so I'm just not going to say anything. Nah, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. I am going to choose to forget not all his benefits. What has he done in me? What am I going to let him highlight in my life? What is going to be the story of my life? And I realized, you know, our culture is one of those ones, especially the Canadian culture, we don't want to seem arrogant. There are some nations in the world that are really big on arrogance, but our nation, we're, we're like, oh, we just, we're just humble people. We just want to help people. If we want to help people right now, because it's as screwed up as we think it is, and probably then some. 
If we really want to help people right now, we better live the testimony. We better live the testimony. We carry the only lifeline. I've talked to a lot of believers lately that it's so bad, and people are like, we know Jesus is coming back soon. Do you know what these stats tell me? 95% of this nation won't go with us if he's coming back. That should disturb us to the core. It's not about me and mine getting out of here to be with Jesus in the sweet by and by. It is the fact that God wills that none would perish, but all would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It better work me up on the inside. I don't do church as a creative expression of my life because there's good music here. I don't do this as a social gathering. I am here because this is home for me. I am here because these are brothers and sisters and we all know that we've been rescued from a garbage pit. We all know that our feet have been pulled from the miry clay and set upon a rock and we celebrate together. I don't know what happens in other church gatherings, but this church happens to be a little overly excited. Why? Because we're all just hyper? No, because we were all pretty darn screwed up. We're super grateful. Right? We are super grateful. We are passionately expressing. I think it needs to get even more passionate. But I realize even in my own life, because I'm cautious, you know, I don't want, I don't want people to go, oh, well, you just think that because you're a preacher. Or you just think that because you grew up in a Christian family, you don't know how hard it could be. Let me give you a list. I'll just go from my adulthood. Early on, you know, you know some of this? Early on, when we were newly married, we made some poor financial decisions. We made some 19, 20, 21-year-old decisions. Uh, had bankruptcy, lost it all, barely survived because we, we had family that sowed into our lives and helped carry us through. And because of the faithfulness of God, I remember sitting there across the table with my dad, and he's like, you just need to trust in God. I'm like, I don't even know if I believe God exists right now. Yeah, that's your pastor. I don't even know if God exists right now. My dad said, well, then I'll believe it for both of us until you can stand on your own. We went through that. We went through, you know, babies, postpartum depression, to the point, you, you know this story, to the point where I actually have a year of my life that I don't remember. I look at it through pictures, and I'm in the pictures, but I don't remember being there. I know that there were times in my life in that period where I actually, I, I was suicidal to the point, you know, we never talked about this stuff, but I literally calculated my weight and the, uh, the amount of chemicals in Tylenol and the, the drugs that we had in the house, and did I have enough to take myself out because I was convinced in my mind my children would be better off without me. That's your pastor. That's what, I, that's what I experienced. That was the lie of fear. That was the lie of depression. That was the lie of the spirit of suicide. And I'm not here today to give any glory to that. What I'm here to give glory to is the fact that God reached in in the middle of my brokenness and delivered me completely and put me in a new place. I never question anymore. I do question whether I should cook for them or not because sometimes that's sketchy, but I... 
Don't question whether or not they should have me in their lives. God has put me in a completely different uh, frame of mind. Some people wonder, well, why am I so, you know, aggressive about depression and, and stuff when I see it in the culture around us? Because we, and I'm, again, if anybody's struggling with this, I'm not opposed to medication. I'm not opposed to psychiatry or psychologists. I'm just saying it's not something that we have to say, I will live with this for the rest of my life. Whatever it is, Jesus is the answer. There is an answer from him. When uh, Amy got a little bit older, we took her in for just one of those standard checkups and the doctor said, her heart does not sound right. There is something wrong with her. Uh, we need to start doing some tests. And, and, and we can remember seeing her out on that little table and with all these like stickers all over her chest, you know, and they're watching everything and they're testing her. And the doctor's like, we're not sure if we're gonna have to do surgery. We don't know what this is gonna look like. By the time they got the results back, they couldn't find anything and she is 100% whole. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. That's not because we're special. That's not because our family is highlighted by God. It's because God's that good. Sometimes we would say, you know, well, why would that even happen? We expect if we're believers in Jesus, no bad things should happen. No, that's the testimony. We have in this world, we have trouble, but take heart, you have overcome the world. We, we went a little bit further and Megan, um, our younger daughter, had this mystery illness that was kind of going on for a long time. She was sick a lot. Um, I remember we, we started praying about it as a family. Doctors couldn't really find anything. Um, I, again, my dad said, you, I believe we need to cast it out. We need to know what it is. So you get a word from God. I'll get a word from God. We'll compare notes. We both got a diagnosis from the Lord about what it was, what the spirit was that we were dealing with. And uh, we compared notes and it was the same one. And I remember dad said, okay, and that's the last time we're going to say it. We're going to take authority over it, but that's it. And we took Megan into a counseling session. She was just praying with some people outside of the family. And, and she was asked, what do you see? And Megan's a seer and a feeler. And she said, I see myself covered with sticky notes and they say death. And then she said, I see them blowing away. And the illness disappeared, totally disappeared. She was whole. But one of the things that came out in some of the testing, the doctors came and they said, we've done a, we've done a test of her pelvis and her, her area because she had a lot of stomach pain and whatever. And they said, we don't know what this other thing is, but what we do know is that you need to be prepared. She's never going to be able to have children. Her, her hips are not shaped right. There's this particular um, tipping that's going on or whatever. She's never going to be able to have children. We're going to need you to come back in three weeks and we're going to do a secondary follow-up thing and then we'll see where we go from there. We never came back for the second test. Now, I'm not giving medical advice, Dr. Felix. I'm not saying don't go for the follow-up. <laughs> but I'm saying for us, we were like, oh, no, you don't, devil. Not a chance. Children are a heritage from the Lord. They are a blessing from him. He gets to decide whether she has kids or not. Not you, devil. And so, uh, you know, as some of you might not know, she not only has one child, she has three because she had two at once. And uh, she carried twins to full term. Like, that's our God. That's our Jesus. That's our God. We had, uh, as when our girls were teenagers, we were on summer holidays. And we were driving out past Slave Lake and we had our trailer on behind our truck. And suddenly as we're driving, this huge black truck crosses the lane and comes directly towards us. Drunk driver, and, and he is just, he is not moving. He's coming straight down the wrong lane at us. So Wayne dives for the ditch with the truck and the trailer and the truck followed us. 
and drove straight towards us and somehow at the last minute bounced around the truck and hit the box and drove right through our trailer. Like our belongings were scattered for literally a kilometer and a half because his truck hauled it all the way through. And the police showed up and said, we don't know how somebody's not dead. It, 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 it was a setup. You all should have died, but at very least those on the driver's side should have died and, and we don't know how this happened. That's my Jesus. It's, Jesus is not the one who's standing on a street corner waving, you know, angry fists. Jesus is the one who spares lives. He's the one who pours out love. He's the one who saves and restores and rebuilds. We could have not had an accident and we could have not had a testimony. But I'm telling you, every summertime when the trailers get out on the road and you see the, the, the highway fill up, it is a reminder to us on repeat. Man, God is good. Man, God is good. Remember that year we could have died. Remember that year we could have died. We've had, you know, church conflict. We've been through church splits. We've been through family conflict. We've been through all that stuff. There's people who say, well, I, will, I don't go to church because I've been hurt there. People have offended me there. Get over it. So have we all. Guess what we found out? People are people. People do things and say things and act weird and whatever, but they're your brothers and sisters in Jesus, so move on. Yeah. The, you know? Do you know how many people won't attend a church because they bumped into too many offended Christians? That is sick. If people say, why would I want Jesus? I can see how miserable it's made my family members. They had church, religion just tore them up inside. Guess who gets to control that? Us. We choose forgiveness. We choose love. We choose mercy. We choose to assemble together. We choose to serve one another. We choose to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. We choose to do the right thing. And we walk the testimony of Jesus. Do you know who else was offended? Up close and personal? Jesus. No matter who else in your life has said whatever stupid thing in church, you don't got Judas. Really? Jesus picked him, warned him, told him what was coming, and it still happened. And Jesus walked through that, still went to the cross. Jesus, Jesus in the garden took his closest three friends and said, can you pray for me? This is about to be the worst day of my life. And they fell asleep. Twice. I've been hurt and disappointed by church people. No kidding! How about that? And yet Jesus, when he comes out of the grave and he's restored back to life, the first thing he does is go hunt down the one who betrayed him, the one who said, I don't even know him. He restored him and loved him and poured out mercy and compassion on him. That's Jesus. That's our Jesus. This is who we love. This is who we serve. You know, not everything turns out happy. We, we went through four years of cancer with my dad. He was healed. He had six months of good. And then a second round came back. And he's with Jesus. Guess what? Jesus is still good. God is still good, but he didn't answer our prayers. You know what? 
His kingdom come, his will be done. We prayed and we just have to believe that, yay, we're gonna have a really awesome party on the other side. But God is still good. Jesus is still good. He still heals. I will continue to pray healing for anybody who wants that prayer. I will continue to believe for the miracles to be released for anybody who's believing for a miracle. And sometimes we see it and sometimes we don't and we won't have all the answers to the other side. But God is still good. We don't just come to Jesus because he's our sugar daddy and performs when we put a demand on him. We serve him because we love him. Because he's so good. Because he's so good. At the end of the day, we have to understand, this is not Christianese. The word tells us that at the end of the day, every knee will bow. It would be better that it happens on this side of eternity. It would be better that people come to this revelation of who Jesus is. And what if the piece that's missing is us? What if we've been so busy attributing blame to God and to other people that we've missed the fact that there is literally an enemy who is trying to suck the life out of humanity? And there is one who gives us life and life abundantly. And what if the testimony we've been hanging on to, because we don't want people to think we're weird, is the very key it's going to take to unlock their prison? Because we will all go through trials. We will all go through the hard times. But here's, here's what the word tells us about Jesus. I'm going to have the worship team come. It tells us that he came to the earth because he so loved the world. He didn't come to wave a stick of judgment. It is true that sin separates us from God. It's true that we in a fallen world... We have been born into sin. It's true that we, we have a debt to pay because we are sinful beings. It's true that that sin will separate us eternally from Christ. But it's also true that Jesus, out of love, said, because that's the case, I'm going to come and pay it all. And the word tells us that all we have to do is say yes. If we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth, Believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Believe that he died and he rose again. And we make that commitment to step into life with him. Something changes and we become alive on the inside. And suddenly whatever we're walking through, we don't walk through it alone. We walk through it with him. It doesn't mean we skirt every issue. It doesn't mean that we get, you know, bounced out of every problem. It means that we walk with him through it. And his very nature, you know, when Jesus stood and he quoted Isaiah 61, he said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And he described himself. He didn't describe himself as a hater of humanity. You know, the big bringer of judgment. Yes, God is a judge that we'll face on the last day. But he is love. And everything that Jesus said and did came from a heart to see people be reunited with God. The nature of Jesus, according to the word, <laughs> Jesus is a chain breaker. Jesus is a heart mender. He's a life giver. He's a truth speaker. He's a tear wiper. 
He's a joy instigator. He's a promise keeper. He's a head lifter. He's a sustainer. He's a provider. He's a blesser. He's a confidant. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is wisdom. He is perspective. He is love. He is freedom. He is peace. He is Jesus. Let's stand together this morning. This is our Jesus. Can we sing how great is our God? Let's just go into that. This morning, we're gonna sing this together just for a moment. And then I wanna invite you. We're gonna do things old school today. We're gonna invite you if you need to make that commitment to Jesus, either for the first time or you need to make a recommitment, I'm gonna invite you to come to the front. Pastor Les and Pastor Brad and Pastor Linda are gonna meet with you here and they will lead you where you need to go. But there are some of us, you know for sure, if somebody asked you, why is it important? That the, why, why is church important? Why is your faith important? We couldn't give an answer. It's been so meh. Maybe today's the day for some passion to awaken. Maybe for some, this is a first time commitment you need to say, yeah, I just need to come to Jesus. And I'm going to ask you to just come over on this side if that's you. We want to pray with you and we want to lead you through that. But it is time for the church to be recognized for who she is. It's time for the church to live the testimony of Jesus. To live in the fullness. And so God, today as we sing of who you are. As we speak of who you are. Lord, even today we know that we are here but by the grace of God. The fact that we are breathing is your breath in us. The fact that we are still standing after the year we've just walked through, God, it's your strength, it's your grace, it's your mercy. And God, the path before us as a people, as a church, as a city, as a nation, God, we need you. You are the only answer. But we believe you're enough. You are more than enough. And so God, today I thank you for awakening your church, awakening your bride to live in the fullness, to walk the testimony, to be able to give an answer. Who is Jesus? Let me introduce you. God, we thank you today. We thank you today. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at Victory Church GP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.victorygp.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.